You know, in my 35 years of leading grassroots businesses, predominantly in hotels, casinos, and restaurants, the one thing I realized early on was that attendance issues, absenteeism and employee engagement and retention were indicators of a much bigger issue. But how does one peel back the symptoms that we've all seen to get to the crux of the issue? And that's what my guests and I will be talking about today on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs, just like you, to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Haynes, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Hain. Welcome to this episode. My guest today is change leadership expert, Linda Edgecombe. We will be uncovering how we can drill down into the symptoms of busyness, overwhelm, and distraction to get to the heart of what ails us when it comes to employee engagement. So stay with us. It's going to be a great episode. You know, this is a tenuous time for leaders in our almost post-COVID era. More so, I think, because we have set new expectations within the workplace. Nowadays, the news is filled with employee health and wellness. In Canada, public service workers are on strike partly because they want the government to allow a hybrid workplace balance with the ability to work from home some days of the week. So this brings me to our question of the day. So what adjustments have you had to make as a leader to meet the new expectations in your workforce? Is it causing you grief? Feel free to put your responses in the comment section, wherever you're consuming this podcast. Or if you like, you can share this episode on your favorite social media platform, hashtag it experience leadership, and add your comments and your ideas. I'd love for you to be part of this conversation. I am really thrilled to have change and leadership expert, Hall of Fame speaker, Linda Edgecombe as my guest today. As a resiliency expert, motivational coach, and a proud disruptor of the status quo, Linda travels across the globe speaking to leaders just like you. She is the author of several books and has been presented with the Humanitarian of the Year Award twice in the last four years. Linda, welcome to the show. It is so great to have you. Thank you. Wow, what a beautiful lead up to this episode. You do a you do a great customer experience right off the top, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, thank you. Amazing. Before we get into today's topic, could you let us know a little bit about how you serve your clients? My approach to the clients who want to work with me is that I offer up that I want to be a team member. I mean, obviously, I mean, I, I'm not sure like for yourself or your listeners, but I live at events. My life is at events. And so I've had 30 plus years of being at events and want to at least give them my insights and thoughts on what it's like to create a great experience for the audience members. Some of the sort of fine detail because I mean, big, big, big event planners, they've got this style. This is their profession. But the majority of you know conferences and meetings that happen across the globe, they tend to be smaller, smaller kinds of events. So that, that's one thing. I like being a team member. I like uh, giving people lots of advice on again how to set up that meeting. 
But I like to be an easy to work with professional speaker. I love showing up early. I always make sure I travel early. So there's no stress to that. That to me is a service that I'm not just running in the door. Have I ever ran in the door? Yes, I have in the 30 years. I've definitely ran in the door with late flights and whatever. So I've learned how to be a, uh, easy to work with. I don't have high, high expectations. I don't, I don't want to be a princess. No, I don't think I ever have been a princess, but that's a value for me. That's not everybody, but that's me. I don't need M&Ms in, my, in a jar before I go on stage or any of that stuff. But and I know we make some fun over that kind of stuff. But anyways, I have said lately, I do require a shot of full 100% agave Patron before I go on stage. And that the meeting planner should also have a shot because... It's a lot of work. And they need it. <laughs> it's so funny and that you say that. It, that's why. Every play that we do, just before we get on stage, we have that one shot of that 100% agave tequila. It's a good way to give you a little spiritual kick in the bum. <laughs> and as I passed bartender at the keg back in the early 80s, when it was okay to drink on the job, because it's not okay to drink on the job. But to think that it was actually okay to drink on the job, they knew well enough at about 10, 10, 30 at night when you've been working hard since four, they'd line the bar for all the staff. And they, I don't, anyways, I know it's crazy. We're talking about alcohol, I'm not talking about um, yep. great leadership. But we are talking about employee engagement and we're talking about the, all the different symptoms that people like. It's so funny when I talk to leaders, they talk a lot about, you know, they, the blame. They play a lot of blame game. You know, my staff, they're always late. My staff, they're always calling in sick. They quit just to get 25 cents more across the street. Like all this different kinds of talk. But, you know, as I kicked off the show, the issue is actually really a deeper issue. So before we get into it, though, I want to, from you, get an idea of why you think this topic is really important today. Well, okay. So, yes, so we've just come through this crazy experiment, experience, this, whatever this last three years has been. And when people work majority remote working, even in companies that were, like I'll speak about my husband's um, companies. He's a developer and a construction guy. And so that's a, that was a essential worker. But lots of his admin staff definitely work from home. Their skill level, so leaders, there's lots of leaders who don't have a skill set of um, their own self-development, their own self-awareness, and their own ability to keep people accountable because they don't really want to create conflict or call what I'd say is obvious to them onto the table. So they avoid it and then grumble about it after. And so we've come through that. So people have been working and now there's, yes, everybody's like, I, I kind of want to do a bit of home, a bit in the office. There's benefits to both. I think we'll be hybrid from here on in, except for the organizations that, that clamp down, say, no way, come hell or high water, you're coming back in the office, of which then they will then lose people, of course, because people have set their mindsets to knowing that they can be effective. They do work. I mean, do, did people take advantage of it? Yes. Lots? No. Most people overworked because it's just right there. It's in front of you right now. I'm sitting in my office right now. I could run to the fridge, run home, back and forth. So I here's what I've noticed. Like with the big slap in my face over this whole why are people staying or going since we, myself as a speaker, have gone back to in-person events. And we always, I mean, I've always talked to every client. I want what's going on. What are the issues? I like to position it by saying, should I know anything just so I don't step in it? You know, that's a good way of saying, is there something I should before I get on stage and you know, whatever, put egg on my face. And organizations who have leaders and executives, leaders could be just a boss or it could be layers of bosses, layers of executives, who literally lead people first with their hearts on their sleeves, 
are the ones who, and when I ask them, so what has your turnover been like? They're like, uh, very, very little. We have very little turnover versus leaders who don't really understand their own personal, whatever's going on for them. So on stage, I'll say to my audiences, in the 30 some plus years I've been doing this, the most successful people I've ever come across, whether it's leadership or not, you know, the bosses are somewhere in between, are folks who are just very self-aware, which means, so I say, so what does being self-aware mean? To me, self-aware means that you know what you got going on that you're really good at. Yeah, and you're cool with that. But you also know what you got going on that you're not great at, and you're okay to admit it all. And the truth is that there's not one of us on the planet, but I usually say in this room right now or on this podcast who's listening, there's not one of us that's got it together. Nobody does. Will I stumble through this today? Yes. Well, Mark, yeah, you already messed up a word. I mean, who gives a rip, really? And when we can get okay with the fact, none of us have it together, meaning we got lots of, I mean, I have a highlight reel, as do you, as is everybody listening. We all have a highlight reel. I have a, I have a lot of lowlights too. I'm extremely human. When we can get it to, in our heads that it's okay to not have it totally together, we can stop spending the energy we're spending trying to look like we have it together. And we can take that energy and dive deeper into some stuff that really has more meaning, will have more impact, whatever the goal is, personally and professionally. Humility is like literally the key to a leader's and employer's success these days. Humility. So what does it mean to be to be humble? I mean, you got to let your people know who you are. They want to know who are you, something about you. I mean, connection right now is one of the most meaningful things you could foster in your organization is connection to each other, you to your people, your people to each other. Because when we connect, that's when we um, we buy in, we trust. I know some about you, you know some about me. Well, that's why I would jokingly say with, with our deep, deep friends that we have in our lives, the reason you're deep, deep friends is because we all know too much about each other. You have to stay friends because it's, <laughs> it's not going to be cute if you because break up. Because then you have to pay them off for all the bribes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's really interesting because you've hit on a number of things. And, and, you know, as you were talking, it's like, oh, yes, we need to talk a little bit about the power of humility. You've talked a little bit about leaders not getting prepared to be leaders. When we think about kind of this organizational dynamic of we love to be able to promote people who know what they're doing. We've talked a lot about this a lot on this podcast about how, you know, leaders become incidental leaders because it's like, hey, you're a really great welder. Why don't we promote you to to shop foreman, and then you can teach everybody how to be really good welders just like you. And six months in, you know, you got the guy going, why do I suck so much? And and you're looking and going, why are we getting the results that we wanted? And we're not developing the leaders in a way that they are. Do you think that there are other aspects of supporting leaders that organizations are really dropping the ball on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's historic. We have been promoting people into position because the number of years they've been there, unions, honestly, sorry, unions out there. I mean, and I've been in unions are the worst at this because that's how tenure works. And does that person a have the desire to want to look over, watch people, comment on people, give them feedback, build a vision with that person, you know, build a leader. The truth is you want one person working with you versus four people working for you, which means you have to bring people along with a vision and a goal that's clear and clear and understood. And But when we promote people into positions that they're not skilled for, but if you can see that they could be trained for, I mean, yes, then there's that piece. But to your point, they also have to be willing to be trained as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're still kind of coming through as a boomer. I was going to say as a boomer, we're still coming through 
a group of people who are in their, I'll just say 60s, because we're at the end of the boomers, who were raised on a different hierarchical leadership kind of organization. It's just really important that we, when we're choosing people to come along, that you don't just make the unilateral or the top down. It's more like a top down decision. John's been here for 30 years. Let's make him shop foreman. And we've all heard this too. It's actually not the CEO, unless the CEO is fairly unethical, but it's not exactly the CEO of most organizations that people leave for. It's their direct managers. Right. Right. It's the environment they create. So we're talking a little bit about now the environment and, and kind of the role I think that leaders have impacting their cultures. I started off yep. talking about this idea of, you know, absenteeism and attendance issues and, and people quitting and all this. When it comes down to this idea that leaders are in control of their culture, are there any myths you think need to be busted? About that? Absolutely. Um, listen to a great presenter the other day. I got. I'm just, I just want to give you her name because she's Bridget Schuttle, who did this. She, she's done a lot. Of, she's got a book out called Overwhelmed and has done a lot of work with Life Labs and was talking about, you know, the countries where people who work the longest. So this is a culture, cultural thing. You know, you put in your 30, 35, 40, 60, whatever the expectation is of hours in a week and some organizations even more in some countries, even way more. The countries who have the most productivity in the, on the globe have the shortest work weeks, have the four-day work weeks, which are most of the Scandinavian countries. The country that has the most time put in at the desk, which is Japan, has the worst outcome, the worst you know, productivity compared to the number of hours they're actually putting in because there comes a point in everybody's brain in any given day where eh, it's gone. And so it's our, I think it's our inability or our ability to say, can we actually look at this differently? Is it more about the what we do than the where we do it? Mm. Is it, can you get, if someone is very productive and get their stuff done in a five hour workday? I mean, but then again, it's a leadership or an employer who thinks how much control do I mentally really, you know, think about how much I control do I really need to have over my team? Let alone all the tech, the software we're putting on our computers now to make sure that your staff are actually sitting at the sitting at their computers. Well, I mean, I know I I've been an entrepreneur for thirty years, so all I do is observe. All I do is observe. So I'll give you an example of one of the groups that blew my mind. I just spoke for a few months ago. It was the um, New Brunswick uh, WorkSafe New Brunswick, and they of course all went home. They have three or four buildings. They've sold two of them for all their staff were coming into. They've sold two and they've kept their main building. Everybody else has gone home. So just before this convention, they had their annual meeting, hadn't been together like everybody in three and a half, four years, all of them. It was, was a lot of fun. They really made this a very engaging, fun. And people came into that event to see each other, like as if they were like, not that you can see this if you're listening, but they're seal clapping. They're like so happy. Like their voices are like almost like, like kids. It was fantastic. Anyway, their CEO, just before this convention that they held, sent everybody as a surprise, an ergonomic desk like a stand-up sit-down desk and an ergonomic chair because they are work safe new brunswick but he says hey if you're going to be working from home you need to be as safe and as comfortable physically mentally all of it as you possibly can be and i thought wow now that's progressive in my opinion and that's the first time i went okay hmm so when i was doing sort of a bit of a fun personality profile with the whole group while i was on stage yeah he definitely is a guy who put his heart is literally on his sleeve yeah and he's living his method as well right yes he is staff first then clients, then suppliers. That's how he leads. 
Mm-hmm. That's how important his people are to him. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because you'll also see that reflected in their mission statements, right? When you take a look at the mission statements where, you know, somebody might turn around and say, you know, our mission is to provide fantastic return on investment for our stakeholders. And that, you know, and the quality of our product is really going to be good and that will take care of customers. And it's like, why is customers last? Why is employees mm-hmm. not even mentioned, right? And it really gives you a good hint on kind of the culture people are going to be walking into. Yeah. You know, you know, this whole work-life balance thing, which balance is never really, it's never even, it's never even existed. But, you know, if you can think about work-life, you know, work-life well-being, you take an approach to, and the one best, the, the one, the greatest thing for me that happened, came out of COVID is that it made it okay for us to, A, not be okay. That just became a, a, the, the norm. It's okay to not be okay. We don't have to fake it anymore because all this stuff's been going on way before COVID, but talking about mental health, it's, and again, not a very comfortable place for most leaders and organizations, but it's been, it's been enforced. It's on the table. Let's learn about it. They might still begrudge about it because I hear the under, the underpinnings too, but it is what it is. So it's like, let's get on board. Just mm-hmm. like every other cultural change that's happened on the planet. I mean, we've had, you know, lots of been the last good 20 years, but this is one that's not going anywhere. So yeah employers and having them put in wellness programs, mental health programs that are commonplace, not just hidden. Oh, we have this insurance policy. And if you need to see a counselor, come and see our HR person. It'll be very confidential. Oh my, who cares? Anyways, like, okay, I, hands up. I need mm-hmm. one. Give me take, take advantage of it. Yeah. You know, and it's so interesting because you mentioned COVID again, and I think COVID was a huge learning curve for leaders. And I think it provided huge opportunity. But if COVID showed us anything, it's how we need to be prepared for constant change. I mean, we were talking about this for years, but really COVID just, it was like somebody just put this ore in this huge pot. They just stirred this pot and said, you know, we're going to change in such a way that you have no control. So I'd like to delve into maybe some concrete strategies that leaders can look at when dealing with change. And we'll get to that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with the new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at markhain.com. Welcome back. I am speaking with the fabulous Linda Edgecombe. Linda, I'm so enjoying this conversation. Leaders so badly want things to go back to what they know. When it comes down mm-hmm. to this, Don't we all? what advice would you give them now? The ones that are pulling out their hair going, I just, my reality is just shaken up so much and I just don't know how to deal with this. What advice would you give them? You know, it's a picture I took of a back of a stationary a truck owned by Lukey. And it's a flow chart that says, are you happy? Yes. Keep doing what you're doing. Are you happy? No. The key to the whole flowchart is, do you want to be? So if you want to be happy, and most of us say, yes, of course, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. And I go, yeah, you know what? If we all wanted to be happier, we'd stop telling the stories we keep telling over and over and over and over, right? Same old, same old, same old, same Mm -hmm. old. Now, as a person who's, you know, spoke about, written about research change for forever, I have never, now COVID again, was it landed on our lap and we had to deal. What exhausted us or what has been exhausting us over and above all the other sort of things that we went through is that we have cycled through the first three phases of change all through COVID. Get your 
angst, you're, you're anxious, then you get your hopes up and then they're down again and then you get your hopes up. And then there's, so this roller coaster of emotion has exhausted us. So what we never really got past, and this is my advice here, is the discomfort of the work that has to happen when you come to terms with the fact you have to lean into the mirror. So leaders and employers that are thinking, okay, I'm just so sick of change. Well, well, then you've got to find something else to do. I'm serious. It just is what it is. And if you are in some work and it's causing discomfort, you're in the best place you possibly could be, but you have to lean into the work. So as I lean into my camera, leaning into the work, we avoid it because it's not easy because it's not always beautiful. And when you lean in, you start to, if you're open to it, you start to read things you haven't probably read before, different kinds of stuff. You, maybe you're saying a few things about, man, I'm, 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 really, I'm really stuck with this whole change thing. I'm sick of it. Then you have somebody pipes in and has another conversation. You wouldn't have had that conversation unless you started to verbalize it. You have better conversations. You have deeper conversations. Pushes us into the phase of change that is discovery, where we get re-energized, you know, not rebirth, but you definitely sort of get new ideas. We get more creative and all of that then shifts our perspective on how we see ourselves moving forward. It's like when you're in high school and you're learning some calculus formula and for some reason you can't get it, you can't get it, you can't get it, and all of a sudden, boom, chakalaka, it comes to, you know, whatever. Something shifts, you go, wow, I just got that. That took a lot. It took me longer than I expected it to. The other piece on change, I always say, do you want to be happy? Yes. You know, change something, but I'm not a big believer in turning yourself inside out. We've already, we've gone through that experience. What I am a big promoter of these days is just moving what I call move the dial slightly. So on whatever it is that you're, you know, you know, you've got to juggle and learn more or learn less or stop thinking or change a mindset or whatever, move the dial slightly, even just a couple degrees, because what, what you'll be like in literally 30 days from now will be completely different from where you are today. So if you're feeling stuck in a mindset or you're grumbling about, yeah, the good old days when we could have drinks at the keg while you're working, <laughs> just move the, I mean, that's a silly example, but think of change as moving the dial, not complete turn yourself inside out because that's a, it's overwhelming. No one wants to do that. And we're exhausted already. We're just trying to reboot our energy from the last three years. Yeah. It's interesting that you said move the dial because my analogy is I say, just take a step. It doesn't matter what direction, yeah. but just keep moving forward. You can always change directions. You can always adapt by taking a step in a different direction. But if you just change it slightly, you'll end up in a much different place than if you just kept going. Much different right. spot. Linda, this is fascinating. I know that probably people are biting at the bit just trying to figure out how they can get in touch with you. Could you just let people know what's the easiest way to get hold of you if they want to book you, if they want to explore working with you? What does that look like? Well, as my dad would say, who's my dad since past, but what he always said, he says that I have more, he said, more shit than Shinola. So I have every, <laughs> you can just Google my name. If you Google my name, yeah, you'll see there's more crap than Shinola. Nice. <laughs> I love, I have to say that because I just adored him. Obviously, lindaedgecombe.com is where all the info you, more than you possibly need is there. You know, you can download a, my latest ebook. It's it's free. Nice. <laughs> if you want to talk about busyness, distraction, and overwhelm, that's Breaking Busy, Find a Peace in the Chaos. But yeah, just send me an email if you have any questions. My gosh, I have lots of resources on my site. I've got lots of video I'm doing like Mark, but not quite as beautiful and fancy as Mark's. I'm podcasting for the first time ever, which is shocking considering how much I love to talk. <laughs> you know, give me a mic. There you go. That's great. So lindaedgecomb.com, people can find you and they can connect with you as well. And I also know that you're on LinkedIn as well, right? So easy to, easy yes. to, easy yes. to find. All the social. Easy to find. You know, this idea you, we, of constant change. Uh, we talked about this idea of just making little incremental changes, training it all just a little bit. But how would you recommend that business leaders 
get ready to stay ready for change. Because it's one thing to say, just make little increments, but how do they, from a mindset perspective, from a dynamic perspective, how do they get ready to stay ready for the next change? I would certainly work on, well, there's, there's, I mean, staying ready for change is staying as healthy as you possibly can, because I know a healthy work team is an engaged work team. Diverse teams are way more creative, to be honest with you. And uh, just so stay in a mindset of curiosity. That's the point I'm trying to make here. When you get triggered, when something comes up, when a stressor hits you, don't just respond to the stressor. Sit, you, but you got to catch yourself. This is a skill that takes, takes practice to catch yourself and go, hmm, why is this stressing me right now? Or hmm, why is this bugging me right now? That is a curiosity mindset. And if you can stay in curiosity, instead of going to judgment or reaction, because when we go to judgment and reaction, we're actually judging ourselves which is one of the harshest things we do to ourselves. It's an awful thing that we drain ourselves with is judging other people or other situations and uh, reacting to that. And if you can stay curious, you're so much kinder to yourself, which allows you to um, have some grace and some energy to then say, okay, how do I want to work, move forward on this? The other piece that I talk about well, pretty much every time I'm on stage is just there's having energy and resilience to deal with stuff that comes down the pipe every day, stuff hits a fan every day, change, decisions, whatever, in or out of your control, is that resilient. It's not a destination. You, it's a menu of sorts that you can use every day. Okay. We all need to move more. That's no question. We all sit, we sit way too much. We all need to move more. That's a, that's a non-negotiable no-brainer. We all need to sleep better. You have to take your sleep seriously. Take your sleep how you actually get new, you know, restorative sleep seriously. We all need to laugh more. Well, I don't because I laugh all the time. But sometimes, you know, laughter is literally, even if you're going through the heartbreak of your life right now or the most stressful situations you've been in, if you cannot laugh through that, it's the best bridge into healing. It's it, Laughter is the best bridge into connection. So if you can make some levity of yourself as a leader or an employer um, with your teams, honestly, when I, I get permission, when I can go into an audience, especially to these, I always say, I always bow to the person who's the most in charge or, you know, curtsy or whatever, and say, can I make a bit of a fun, can I make some fun of you? If it, if it comes up that it works, that I can make some bit of, poke a bit of fun at you. And if they say yes, which most of them do, and I do, their teams, their staff just think that's the best because that endears them to that person. It just works the best. So humor is, humor is everything. Laughter, 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 laughter. Um, you need to take. You mentioned a magic yep. word, resilience, which I think, because yep. what, you, what you're talking about now is, you know, you've gone from kind of these tools, I guess, to get ready for change, but you've now thrown in this idea of resilience. I think in, in the paperwork that you sent me, you had this idea about resilience requiring clarity. Could you jump on yes. that for a second? Absolutely. Because, that, you know, so after laughter, clarity is the next, literally the next essential, I call them essentials for resilience. And it's like I say, it's a menu of sorts. Okay. Clarity is being honest with yourself and saying, look at all the stuff you have on your plates right now. And why have I willingly piled all this stuff on my plate? Because everything that's on your plate, you've put there. Some stuff gets dropped, but you keep it there. And when I say, okay, clarity means, and the reason we keep piling stuff on our plates is because then we don't actually have to deal with, with what's on the other side of the plate because you can't actually see it because the plate's so piled high. And when I, the biggest pushback I ever get from my audience members when I do, when I dive deeper into all the roles we play and the values that we have, the, the reason there's so much pushback in me asking them, choose one or two roles that you're currently playing and let them go. Oh, well, you might as well, I might as well just take one of their children from them. I mean, it's just like there's such pushback. 
it's just incredible. Although you're exhausted and overwhelmed and can't even think about, you know, when's the last time you had the best laugh you've ever had, or those kinds of things, or felt actual pure seal clapping joy, is because you're all so much stuff, but you're not willing to let go of some stuff. So clarity means what do you really want? And you already know what you really want. We just don't want to admit we know what we really want. Because when we know what we really want, we can say no to what we don't want. Mm. So that clarity piece is figuring out really what where do I want to go from here? That's really interesting, this okay. idea of, of clarity. Know what you want. Because, you know, I always fall back on Henry Ford's disclaimer of, if I went up and listened to what people wanted, they just wanted faster horses. Could it be that we sometimes know what we want, but we don't know what we need? I think probably when I, when I ask people, okay, if, and I've surveyed my entire database a few times on this, you know, you know, if you could change one thing, this is knowing what you really want. If you could change one thing about yourself that you know would make an immediate improvement in getting to where you want to go, what would you change? So then they listed all the things, you know, the, and mostly it's get more organized, get my finances in order, get my health. So they'll list the things that they would change, knowing that they would totally move them forward towards they want to go to knowing what they really want. Then I ask them, so, and so what is holding you back from making that change? And it is, well, basically it's fear, 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 fear. But the fear is not knowing what the outcome's going to be, which means none of us want to make, want the, we don't want to get to what we really want because we're not quite sure when we get there, if I can handle it. That's literally, they don't, we can't control the outcome. So we just stay exactly where we are, but what I call hovering. We can't control the outcome of where we might end up when we want to do the growth, when we want to do the changes. So we just stop and we stop trying. Can I say one more thing? Sorry, just my profound thing that probably has affected me and that I've done because, you know, I'm always on a continuous learning curve. Someone once said to me, if you have a friend who will be honest with you, but will be kind, you know, not brutal honest, that is not, but someone said, I'm just being brutally honest. Well, no, thank you. Keep it to yourself. But they'll be honest with you, but they'll be kind in the delivery. You say to them, how do you see me holding myself back? That's the question you ask a good friend who knows you well, but will be kind in the response. How do you see me? Because believe me, when you think about your good peeps, your good friends, the people that you really know, because we all have things that we hold ourselves back with. And then you have to sort of just sit with that because it's going to be some honest, you already know the answer. We do. We all know the answers, but sometimes when someone else verbalizes it, it makes it more real because we can just put it away in the back, just forget about it. I love that. That's a clarity. I love that. And you mentioned one other aspect. You mentioned that you're constantly learning and pushing yourself to learn. So I'd like to delve into the importance of being a lifelong learner as a leader and how that can contribute to business success and growth. And we'll talk about that right after this. Attention, meeting and event planners. Is your company or association planning a live or virtual conference, seminar, staff retreat? Are you looking for a fresh, energetic perspective on what it takes to put on a jaw-dropping experience for your customers or staff? Book customer experience expert Mark Hain for your next group event. Past participants have said, Mark kept us in stitches while teaching us how important and powerful actually designing our customer experience can be. Read more testimonials and find out how Mark can serve you and your group at markhain.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. 
Welcome back. I am speaking with the proud disruptor of the status quo Hall of Fame speaker, Linda Edgecombe. As you could tell, Linda and I are super passionate about today's topic. So if you are planning an event like a conference or a leadership retreat and you know someone who could use our services, why don't you reach out and do a connection request? Our contact information is in the show notes, and I promise you, you won't be sorry. <laughs> I promise you won't be sorry. So Linda, this idea of being a lifelong learner for leaders, like I've, I've come across many different organizations where the leaders, to your point, baby boomers, they're the carrot and stickers. They've been doing the same thing for 20 years. So why should I change? How important do you think being a lifelong learner is to a leader? And how does it benefit the organization on the long term? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, leaders that are listening to this, uh, you got to go there and get there. If you want your teams to, you know, step up, keep growing, keep learning, keep getting inspired, come in as healthy as they possibly can and, and energize. Yeah, you got to be that person too. But I will say this as well, because of what I do for a living, uh, and my husband runs a, a very large construction company. He is in the last probably, I'd say five to 10 years max. And he's been doing as long as longer than me, his business, doing an amazing amount of a own personal reflection and growth as himself as a leader. But before that, it was like, He'd be saying, are you workshopping me again? <laughs> I don't know. Can we dive a little deeper into that? <laughs> I mean, I don't, why else are we here if, if we're not just learning something different or new? I mean, my hallmark question that I've been hanging my flag on for 25 of the 30 years I've been speaking is when's the last time you did something for the first time? It, the reason we're on the planet is to create new stories, to learn new things, to, because all of that makes us way more interesting people. And, you know, enjoyable to chat with, enjoyable to meet other, it could just, it's just an expansion on an expansion mentality for me. So I just say, if you want to be inspiring, I mean, truthfully, if you're a leader in any organization, you are a cheerleader. And if you want to be inspiring people around you to step up and be the best person they can become, you got to go there to get yeah, there. You have to model that behavior. Period. But you know, there's so many different philosophies out there. And, and I think, you know, when you talk to leaders and you ask them about, is it, you know, do you think we should be training your up and coming leaders to become more effective? more, whatever, whatever the needs are. And everybody says yes, but precious few of them actually will invest in that. So from a kind of 30,000 Shame foot, on you. What's that? I said, shame on you. Shame on them. Uh, yeah. Not invest in it. So what can organizations do to create this culture to help their leaders skill up? What do you think are the keys there? Well, first of all, I'd have leaders do a, a workplace audit with their leaders and go through, you know, and, and if you want, I've got a, I've got an audit on my site that you can just download and have, has it, I mean, it just as a launch pad for a conversation, let's just call it just that for, to begin with, have your team drill down through all aspects and say, it's all there laid out for you and just, and rate it in their opinion at the moment of where they feel the team, their leadership team is at, and then make decisions where, what are we going to move on this year and start with, with honest conversations and where we can grow. And it's, um, it takes, you know, for someone who's a business owner or a CEO or, you know, a top level executive, the information might not all be the easiest to absorb sometimes because not everything we do is always great. And so, I mean, it starts there and I'm, you know, I'm sure lots of people have done that kind of thing, but yeah, it's, I'd be starting with a, a conversation and saying, okay, so what specifically could we, can we move ourselves through to then offer up to our teams? And then, but yeah, as we all know, as it trickles down, <laughs> 
You know, again, you know, as you were saying that, the word humility kept popping into my head. We don't have all the answers. And as much as when I was 19 years old in my first workplace, and I would look at my boss and it was like, he had all the answers and I couldn't wait for, you know, to grow up to the point where I had all the answers. And I got to my 40s and it's like, wow, all the people in their 60s have all the answers. And then I got to be 60 and it's like, where are the answers? I thought they just come to me. Yeah, that's the 40-year-olds have the answers now. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So, you know, leaders who are listening to this and tuning in and thinking, yeah, you know, I need to shake things up a little bit. Would you have any cautionaries to this idea that we have to turn the dial a little bit? We have to maybe change directions a little bit. We might have to shake up our status quo a little bit. What cautionaries would you offer to leaders as they try to bridge this and create this new culture? You know, I would, because it's a very, it's, it's a reality of all workplaces right now is our unconscious biases about so many things. Mm-hmm. I would suggest that they a, a speak to a coach or a counselor or somebody who can lead them through some, you know, a training or, you know, some questioning for in our own unconscious biases. I, I just did a beautiful podcast with a good colleague of ours, Andrea Menard. She's oh, um, a beautiful lady, Métis yeah. woman from Manitoba. Oh my God. I'm a, I'm a, I've got a huge crush. Uh, she's just fantastic. But we talked about all of that and, um, our own open-minded, I think I'm all these things, but we all carry a lot of that. And I don't just mean in culture. I mean, in a, how you see a 20 year old pushing a shovel or a broom in your company to a, you know, high level executive male to a high level executive female and the wage discrepancy and all that, that's all bias that we don't, I'd start there because that's a real, it's in our, it's current, it's on the table. It's a must look at that's where I would suggest someone start if they, you know, want to improve. There's a lot of really great business development leader programs that are out there. My husband is literally at his afternoon meeting today with his crew and where it's the first place, you know, that I know for him who, you know, he's got a big staff and lots of moving parts where he is forced in a room, the phones are, are they're off and they talk about the top 5% and the, and the bottom 5% of, of their business, their health, and their relationships, those three things. Wow. Wow. And that is a safe place for them to become, they have a sort of a commonality of business prowess. Let's say that they're all fairly successful business people and it's men and women, but top 5%, bottom 5%, but it's only it's business themselves, their own personal growth and their relationships. But to your point, you know, the, your husband runs a construction company and you would think, oh, well, you know, construction people, I mean, they're tough, they're hardworking, you know, there's no way that they have self-doubt there's no way that they have mental health issues and you know they just oh my right? god <laughs> and so i mean that's my bias looking out being out looking in is like you know they must have yeah. it all down pat but to your point nobody on the planet mm-hmm. is perfect no well perfect doesn't exist yeah, there you go <laughs> i know for those of you by the way who are, who are perfectionists it is much tougher for perfectionists to lighten up than it is for the rest of us who are not perfectionists to actually get it together because those of us who don't care like we're good with both, but perfectionists, if you're, and there's also two kinds of perfectionists, people who have a high standard for themselves. The second kind of perfectionist, a person who has a high standard for themselves and everyone else around them. And if you're number two, you're going to go through your life being continuously disappointed yeah. because the rest of us will disappoint. You've just outlined my mindset when it comes to golfing. You know, the first eight <laughs> holes, I am so focused on, this has got to be perfect. This has got to be a great swing. And then by the time I get to the ninth hole from nine to 18, it's like, I don't give a damn. I'm just coming out here to have some exactly. fun. 
I call that the second drink. <laughs> There's a tipping point. I don't give a the second drink. Linda, this has been absolutely amazing. Oh, a great discussion. Do you have any last thoughts about what we're talking about today? You know what? I would just say, because the majority of the planet hovers, we have lots of ideas. We have lots of things. And we think, okay, I just got inspired. Just start on something. Just move on one thing. If something is a curiosity for you from this podcast, whether it's your own health, whether it's something else, whether it's a staff person or a conversation, just start one thing, you know, because just it's it, motivation doesn't come from us blabbing. It comes from you putting one foot in front of the other and moving into something and allowing physics, which is inertia, to take over and just move because it'll take you somewhere. Love it. Could you just remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you, Linda? Yep, just Linda Edge, L-I-N-D-A, Linda Edge Comb with an E on the end, dot com. And you'll find everything ever you need to know. Thank, Thank you, you so much, so much for being on the show, Linda. This has been, I've just been, I'm tickled that you are on the show and that we've had such a great discussion. Thank you so much well, well for done. joining me today. You did a great job. Thank you. Why don't you let me know if this was of value to you? As always, my offer stands. If you would like 30 minutes of my time to brainstorm your business with you and your team, feel free to book yourself on my online calendar. The link is down below in the show note. It would be my honor for me to be of service. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this show? We are now hitting over 90,000 views of this podcast, so I am just tickled. And by subscribing, it'll give you first dibs whenever I bring you fresh new content that will help you create the jaw-dropping, show-stopping experience that your employees and your customers deserve. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Mark Hain. I hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope, I hope you dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception.